Hey everybody, today's sponsor for How I Built It is SiteGround. If you want faster, safer, better, more affordable hosting for that project that you're working on, there's no better place than SiteGround. And for a limited time only, they are doing free migrations and covering the cost of your previous hosting contract. This is a limited time offer that expires on September 8th. So head on over to SiteGround.com go slash built it. That's built dash it today. On with the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to How I Built It, a podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, I have Brian Krogsgaard of Post Status with me. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? Great, great. Thanks for joining me. In the interest of keeping everything tight and focused, uh, we can just dive right in. Uh, you run a website called Post Status. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that um, and, and how you came up with the idea? Sure, and thank you. Uh, Post Status is a website for with news and information for WordPress professionals is kind of the tagline that I utilize. Um, so I'm going after um, people who make their living with WordPress or at a bare minimum make a decent chunk of their uh, revenue with WordPress or use it as a primary tool within their business, um, whether that's agency people, product people, um, like in-house people, that maybe it's the web people at a university or something like that, or a big corporation or a publication. Those are the types of people that I go after as customers. As far as what I provide them, it's uh, mostly news and, and stuff to make them better at their job. Um, and that spans kind of from a developer perspective, even some design stuff, and a lot of uh, how to do better at your business and whatnot. It's a mix of link curation where I tell people things they should read as well as blog posts. And the idea came about because I was, had been writing about WordPress for several years, uh, started doing so in 2010 and started post status in 2013. And after two years of post status being a free blog that had several iterations, I turned it into a, a paid thing. And now it's a, a membership site where I'm serving as of right now, about 700 members. So by the time this records, hopefully that'll be a little higher or how, by the time this publishes rather. Um, and yeah, so it's a mix of, uh, memberships from, um, th those folks that help pay the bills and also some corporate partners. And, and that's what I do every day. Nice. That's awesome. So you are one of the few people who have successfully taken a, uh, a news website and made it profitable. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, pretty unique in terms of uh, the WordPress world. It's it's not easily replicable, which is good for my business model um, because making that leap to asking people to give you money, they already have to kind of trust you as a writer or as someone that's going to inform them. Um, so I really like that component of it. Um, that said the business pretty much relies on your expertise. So you can't, it's, it's a little bit difficult to get away in terms of vacation or contracting it out to someone else, or if you ever want to sell the business. So those are challenges. Um, obviously I don't want to sell the business or anything like that, but it is something I have to think about when I want to go on vacation and stuff like that. So it's a little more difficult on whoever owns it in terms of, uh, you know, stepping away versus if you have like a SaaS product or something, uh, I do envy those folks a little bit sometimes because they can, they need to manage support, but that can typically be outsourced for short periods of time. And, 
um, and they can go on, on vacation or do whatever. And it's hard for me to get my brain off of post status because I always want to keep my pulse on what's happening in the WordPress space. But um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't trade it. Nice, nice. And you, so you do have a small team of people uh, helping you out, right? Yeah, so I have three contractors that work with me. Um, one helps me curate some of the footnotes. That's David Bissett. That's kind of the bottom of the newsletter where I share like a, a link list. And then uh, Katie Richards is an administration assistant where she does a whole bunch of stuff with user onboarding and also some of the reporting that I manage month to month. And then I have Daniel Espinoza, who's kind of a technical help for me that he's on a essentially a retainer where he helps maintain the e-commerce component of things and helps me with small projects where uh, I just want to spend my time trying to be better at doing post status and not necessarily having to dig into the code constantly. So Daniel's helpful for that. So yeah, those are three people that are working with me. Awesome. So my next question is two-pronged. I want to know what kind of research you did uh, for taking post status from free to paid, but... You do a ton of research for your articles. Like your article on um, like copyright law was mm-hmm. is one of my favorite to date. So I mean, uh, what what research is that like as well? What research did you do starting the business, and and what's your research process like for writing your articles? Yeah, um, no one's ever asked me that about research for writing articles, so I'm glad, <laughs> glad you did. So for starting the business or going from free to paid. I talked with people that I felt like were the type of customers that I wanted, and I asked them, hey, if this was a paid thing, would you pay for it? Like, is this the, so if I can't, if I can't get an instant yes, like this is worth paying for to me from what I would consider my ideal customers. So these were agency owners or people that run product businesses or, you know, people that are really hardcore developers or involved in core development stuff like that. If I couldn't get them to be instantly excited about it, then I would be concerned. I also wrote a blog post that was kind of a public, what I'm thinking about in terms of the future of post status, because I was doing pretty much all of the operations and a good bit of development at the small agency that I was working at. And I had to make a choice between, am I going to continue putting in, you know, 60 hour weeks here or more and let post status fade as a free blog, or am I going to go all in on post status? And I just decided that uh, I would really regret it if I didn't try. So between knowing some, at least some people were willing to step in right away, um, in combination with having a number of uh, corporate partners be willing to go in and do a yearly deal. So I started with those 12 yearly partners that essentially would float me revenue wise, even if I didn't get a single member. Um, so that gave me enough of a buffer to go out on a limb and, and work for myself for the first time. I'd never worked for myself before. So just that alone was scary, much less with a completely unproven business model. As far as researching for articles, you mentioned one that was about copyright, which doesn't sound very WordPress centric. Um, but that happens a lot, you know, like the things that end up being conversation points in WordPress are not often like, oh, let's dig into some development thing. This is going to be a hot topic because that's what people deal with day in and day out. What people don't deal with day in and day out are the other debates, controversies, whatever that comes up in the WordPress community that often have very little to do with WordPress itself. And therefore, a lot of the conversation is around the fact that no one knows what's going on. Uh, my my challenge in those scenarios is to try to find resources from the people that are knowledgeable. On that one, I actually ended up 
contacting someone that had written a research paper for a university and they were, you know, they were online. They had a social profile. So I actually emailed the person that wrote uh, kind of this, uh, what I considered the landmark resource online for digital copyright which and, or, and trademark um, in a digital landscape and uh, asked them their opinion and asked them if I was on the right track with what I was drafting. So they actually kind of looked at my draft thesis, not every bit of the article, but, you know, like the primary points that I was going to say, like, I think this and I think that. And they were the ones that said that I was on the right track and, um, and that's really helpful. So if you can go to people that are experts in those fields, they're usually willing to talk to you. And I do that pretty frequently. Uh, a funny one, uh, that was recent that I haven't done anything with this yet was, uh, I talked to a couple of investment bankers <laughs> that were, uh, that are pretty big into, uh, merger and acquisition stuff. And they're pretty big into the hosting space. Um, so I was trying to learn more about the hosting landscape. So I contacted someone that I thought they might have the right contacts. And, uh, between that conversation and then the conversation with these investment bankers, I feel like I have a much better, Lay of, the, uh, lay of the land in terms of the future of, of big hosting and how that can affect WordPress. So I spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff. And sometimes it sees the light of day through content and sometimes it doesn't. It just kind of informs my writing in other ways. That sort of research too. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a developer. Uh, I'm like you said, I'm in the development stuff all day and I'm reading all sorts of stuff about that, but I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I, I know law based only what I've seen on TV, you know, so, which is probably not great. Um, Matlock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's school. like, yeah, I, I know the old Southern guy always wins. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, my, my perception of, of that stuff is, is not great, but, and it's easy to kind of form your opinions and tweet them out just based on what you think, you know, so like articles like that are incredible. And, and the fact that you, go out and talk to professionals who are in that space is, is great too, because it's, it's actually a great transition for the next question. You know, I found that I'm kind of revamping WP in one month and, and this podcast is a, uh, a result of that. And I started to revamp it because I started talking to people like Sean Hesketh and, and Brian Richards and Corey Miller and Rebecca Gill, uh, all these people who are going to be on the show at some point. Um, and that's, that really helped me do things not in a silo and think like, I think this is okay. So it's probably okay. Uh, so I, I guess the long rambling part of this question is done. So who did you talk to about features and, and direction and, and just general business advice? Uh, two of the people you just mentioned are in a mastermind group with me and those, those folks were instrumental even prior to our mastermind existing, you know, we kind of came together because we were friends and I was seeking advice of other people with similar uh, positions in life. So um, people that are relatively self-employed in an e-commerce landscape, whether it's like mine, where it's a digital service product or like Sean's is a, 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 a teaching course product. Um, and we, uh, you know, I chatted with them and I asked them their advice on, on what they thought the right direction was, what the right features would be. Um, I really went to people that I looked up to. Um, you know, another example is Tom Wilmot. He's the CEO of Human Made. And he's always been a great supporter of Post Status. And uh, 
he was a he was a great encouragement because when I was talking about the future of post status, he's he said, well, if you do this, I'll buy a membership for everyone in my company. Um, so <laughs> so not only was that awesome in terms of uh, a potential um, amount of business, but it was also it gave me an idea of hey maybe I should offer a corporate deal for companies that want to provide post status for their uh, for their employees. So conversations like that really helped uh, me establish what the benefits would be, what the business plan would be. Chris Lima has been an advisor to me over the years in several capacities. And uh, obviously, I, 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 I went to him for feedback on a variety of things. Um, but usually, I just drafted something, whether it was the pricing or the benefits. And then I would go to people and say, hey, is this a good idea? Um, and I still do that today. I'm doing my first event. And when I was drafting the sponsorship agreements and like what the sponsors would get and stuff, I actually went to two people that I was then going to ask them to sponsor. But I was like, hey, this is what I'm thinking in terms of the sponsor landscape for this event. Uh, is this a good idea? And is this the type of information that you value? So I've always thought that transparency in what you're thinking is going to get you a long way in terms of getting equity with the people that you want to be your customers or your sponsors or whatever. Um, so usually I just go straight to the people that I want to give me money and I ask them like, are these the benefits and are these the features that are going to encourage you to give me that money? Um, and that works pretty well. I've, I've had a lot of success with that. Nice. That's great. That, and I, I'm quickly learning that I've always had a problem with a personal problem, like not like this, it's wrong. I, I've had a personal problem with just asking people for money. I, yeah, that's always been really hard for me to do. I figured if people wanted to give me money, they would give me money, but that's not always the case. Uh, and so I'm, I'm learning with, especially finding sponsors for this podcast, just asking, hey, do you want to throw me 99 bucks to sponsor an episode? You know, and more often than not, people are saying yes, which is very, very encouraging uh, because at at the point of this uh, recording, there is zero episodes out. So, yeah. pe you know, so it's it's nice to know that people trust you enough to do that. So, and people aren't betting on your podcast; they're betting on the fact that it's you producing it, and you have a history of following through on things. So that that matters in a scenario like that. Uh, I have to. I, I have this thing in my head based on what you said about you have to ask. Could you imagine? software or software as a service companies that charge money if they all just said here's our software as a service and a donate button like can <laughs> would, <laughs> would their revenue be the same absolutely not but no one no one's mad at them for saying you know this is our pricing and this is how much it costs to use our service people aren't mad about you asking for money um, but they do expect a return on that, some value that they're going to get out of your, your service or whatever you're providing. But if you offer it for free, most people are going to take that. So in, in, and even if you say, hey, you got this for free, now where's the donate button? Like the, 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 the minority of people are going to do that. Like of the people in the world that use Wikipedia, very few follow through with Jimmy Wales's pleas for donations. <laughs> I know. And you're basically looking him right in the eye when he asks for those donations. <laughs> yeah, too. it's right there at the top of the page. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, I was talking to this uh, uh, actually with Chris uh, Lemma when we were out in Minneapolis. 
uh, I guess there was a, a conference or when conferences do this, right? They'll say you can pay X amount of money to come to the conference or you can stream it for free online. And then they wonder why they're not selling tickets. You know, it's like saying, oh, I'll sell you the black T-shirt for 10 bucks or I'll give you the white T-shirt. So, yeah, what they're doing in that scenario is they're basically telling you. And this is why I have trouble with free streaming events, because you're saying the only value that you get out of the ticket price is the hallway track and the people. And there is a ton of value there. But you're you're basically saying we are not we're not willing to showcase the value of the talks themselves i love free streaming events and but it's hard to say whether it would impact my decision to go to the event or just stream it because it's a lot easier to stay at home and stream an event if it's the talks that you're interested in my theory though is a lot of events especially um people are just as or more interested in the hallway track so i understand the bet that people are making there but i'm all for charging for the streaming uh of an event because I feel like you should be assigning value to those talks. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to undervalue the work that the speak your speakers are doing, especially. So cool. Uh, so uh, at this point, we're about halfway through our conversation. Uh, so I want to ask the title question. Uh, you have post status. You've talked to people. You have been writing for a while. How did you build the site? Uh, so I quit my job and um, I had... I gave myself about a month between right before Christmas to January 21st. And I announced, I think I announced my launch date. Like I was, I said, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to do this thing. Now I'm, I'm giving myself one month to, to build it. Um, so I just went heads down and worked every day and set a game plan. Um, and that in involved the whole nine. Like I didn't make any decisions ahead of time in terms of saying this is the software I'm going to use in terms of which plugins. I knew it was going to be on WordPress because I'm a it's a WordPress publication. Um, but you know I was analyzing the pros and cons between uh, you know WooCommerce and Restrict Content Pro and Memberful and iThemes Exchange and trying to figure out hey what am I going to use what's going to work best for me. I ended up going with WooCommerce. Um, with WooCommerce subscriptions, uh, which allows the recurring revenue. I had some important things that I wanted to make sure I was doing. One was I wanted to create automated renewals um, so that it was easy for people to just not do anything and then renew the next year. But I wanted to make it easy, obviously, for people to cancel. But historically, other pl plugin makers and services in general have shown that uh, people are your renewal rate is going to be way higher if you just don't do anything and just let people renew. And I wanted to give people a reminder that their renewal was coming up so that I wasn't like pulling one on them. Um, so I send a renewal email a couple days before the renewal itself and say, hey, this is about to automatically renew, etc. So WooCommerce subscriptions helps me handle that. In terms of other stuff on the on the website, eventually there will be things that are not the content restriction itself. Um, so that's the other big reason I went with WooCommerce is because you can do more than uh, you know just the content restriction with WooCommerce. It can be a store of any sort. So if I sell a physical product or if I sell a digital product or if I sell an event ticket, all those things you can do with WooCommerce. It's a very robust solution. It's not the simplest solution. If you're just doing memberships or something, if you're just doing content restriction, there are probably options that will cause you fewer headaches. 
Um, but for me, WooCommerce was the, the right choice. I also rely greatly on MailChimp. So uh, creating a MailChimp template, template that was going to work. I figured the only way a membership content restriction website was going to be successful is if I jumped, if I delivered every piece, every word that I wrote for people, if I delivered it to them in full in email. Because if I make them log in and read, they're not going to do it. And then they're not going to gain value. But if I throw, if I send them the uh, the content in the email in full, then they're going to open their email and read it because it's part of their day. They read their email. Email is so valuable in a members only thing that I could not do without Mailchimp. I could do without just about anything, but I could not do without Mailchimp. And then several months after I launched, I had been contemplating maybe a forum or something. And Slack was really gaining a lot of popularity a year and a half ago when I launched. And I decided after a couple months, I did a poll and said, hey, would y'all be interested in a Slack channel or a forum or both or neither? And I got mixed feedback, but there was a little bit of a trend saying I would use a Slack channel. And that has turned into both a great sales tool and probably the biggest benefit for at least half the members, because not everybody reads a newsletter, um, even though... Uh, that's where I put my heart and soul into trying to make good content. Not everybody reads it, um, but a lot of people use the Slack channel and love it. And what's fascinating is it's provided a venue for people to connect with one another. Something like 75% of all messages in my Slack channel are through direct messages, not even in the pub public channels. So out of however many six, 7,000 messages per week um, from the from the members, the huge majority are direct messages. So people are talking to each other um, and finding value in the Slack, even outside of the public channels. Man, I could tell you that uh, when I got my membership, it proved its worth in the first week. And the Slack channel is what did it. I just asked questions and got great feedback and, and made connections with people. So everything you're saying there is absolutely true. And like the the newsletter is also excellent. But I, I was immediately immersed in the Slack channel first. So, you know, I started using that before the first email came. So uh, just right off the bat, I, I knew it was worth the 99 bucks a year because it's it ends up saving me however much money in doing research and, and finding tools and stuff like that, getting user feedback. So did it did it take you a long time to start getting members? It depends on how you phrase that. Uh, the first like 100 to 150 came very quickly. Um, I, because I, I was the whole month that I, I was building this, um, I had told people, Hey, I'm leaving my job. I'm going full-time on post status and I'm going to launch this sucker in about a month. And then people knew what to expect, uh, in terms of that it was coming. So when it did come, it wasn't a surprise to people and some people were prepared to, to join. Um, so I think the first day was like maybe 70 people, uh, something like that. And then the first 150 were within a few weeks and then things started leveling off. But if you look at like January, February, March of my revenue, it's really high, a little bit lower, a little bit lower. And then it create, and then there's a trend that started to, to, to happen in terms of how many new, new members I should expect a month. Um, so my goal is like, basically I want a new member, um, every business day It's like a decent thought process for me. So if I get 25 new members a month, then that's pretty good. Um, but I didn't even know what the trend line was going to be until like 
July and August after launching in January because it's a yearly thing and you just don't know what it's going to be like. And then you don't know what it's going to be like because you don't have any renewals for a year. So now that we're in August of the next year, now I'm getting a better understanding finally of what it looks like in terms of long-term new memberships versus long-term churn of people that decide not to renew. And that gives me an idea for, hey, is this something that can grow and scale, or am I always fighting to just catch up with churn? Um, so those are some of the interesting business model things that I've been able to finally get a, a feel for. And I still, it's still not perfect, and, and I'm starting to see some of the work to do. But if you're considering any sort of recurring revenue business, that's super important to, to look into. Gotcha. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, I saw you tweet a little while ago that um... – well, you know, we're past the first year for a lot of memberships and you're seeing people renew, which is which is great. Um, so uh, I, I guess that kind of implied that the first year people were betting on on you. Right. As a person. Uh, and and now people are actually starting to see the value in post status. Is that right? They're seeing the value enough to not cancel it um, in terms of the first year, the certainly those first like probably 200, 250 members, there, there weren't enough people like getting the product. And then, um, there, like, you don't know how, why to bet on me in order to make that purchase unless you know me. So those first couple hundred people, absolutely. Uh, after that, it was kind of a recommendation engine. So one person, uh, let's say Tom McFarlane, he's been a great, he, I think he was the, he was like the second person that joined. <laughs> uh, so Tom McFarlane, he's great because not only did he trust me, but then once I hopefully validated his trust in terms of delivering good content, he would then tweet or blog about or whatever and say, hey, post status is great. If you're you know, a WordPress professional and you're not in this, you're losing out on value. So that recommendation engine is what subsequent people would rely on. And sometimes it takes people hearing that once, or sometimes it takes them hearing it 25 times. Um, but once you get them in the door, the sale is hard for an annual membership. Once you get them in the door, then hopefully you can prove your worth through the membership itself. And then you see if that pans out with whether they renew or not. And if they renew, and fortunately I've been able to maintain about 85% uh, renewal rate, which has been pretty good. If you get them to renew, that lifetime value of a customer is pretty good once you hit two years. Um, because if I was monthly... I can't remember where I saw this, but I think the average person sticks with a monthly service for like, I don't know, eight or nine months. Um, so because I'm giving up on easier sales, because I'm not offering a monthly thing, so it's harder to sell yearly. But if they buy yearly and then renew at a high rate, then I get a lot of value in terms of lifetime value per customer because it's 24 months if they renew at a minimum. And some of those people will continue to renew. So three, four, five years of renewals is far better than I could expect with a monthly one where eventually people, you know, they have a couple busy months in a row and they're not using it as much, so they cancel it. I'm going after the Amazon Prime model of you don't know exactly where you got the value of Amazon Prime, but you know you shipped yourself a refrigerator for free, and surely that was worth the $99 you paid for Amazon Prime. I want it to be like that to where... You can remember one Slack experience or one newsletter where you got a tip or whatever, that that was enough value. And that those things, those trigger points of what create the value are going to be different for different people. But my goal is there's something within your year of post status that's going to make you feel like it was worth subscribing. And therefore, when the renewal reminder comes up, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to stick with this for another year.
we talked about a little bit about how your pro, uh, how post status has transformed. So uh, I'm going to skip over that question and move right to the what are your plans for the future? I know there's a lot of inside jokes uh, in the post status room, uh, but I mean, you know, what's what's kind of uh, on the docket for the next year or so? Uh, sure. So there's a few things that I've desperately wanted to do. I just pulled the trigger on an event and uh, I always thought it would be cool to bring post status to real life um, in terms of community wise. So uh, I've done a couple of parties at WordCamps, which has been a pretty decent marketing tool. So people might join just to come to this party where they can have a couple of beers and hang out with other people that are in post status. Um, I took that a step further this time by planning an event. So I'm doing a one day conference and there's pretty low commitment this time around because it's uh, piggybacked on the same dates as WordCamp US. So about half my customers went to WordCamp US last year. So if that happens again, then it should be pretty convenient for them to have an add-on event to come to my my thing. Um, so having a full-day conference, a post-status event, is, gonna, is one thing that's uh, in December, and I'm really excited about that. Another one, I've been promising this basically since I launched, maybe before I launched, a year and a half ago, that eventually one of the features was going to be a job board. I'm on the verge of launching this job board, but it has not happened yet. And it's not a technical limitation, but adding the job board adds a whole lot of things because I know I, I know it can be a good resource. There's a lot of people ready to post jobs on there, but I also have to bring potential candidates to actually be visiting the job board. I also have to be managing the admin communications in terms of with the job, people applying or uh, submit, you know, posting their jobs. I also have to be doing a good job with email campaigns in terms of sending it to not only my members list, but my free list and making sure those are, uh, those jobs are getting properly marketed to the broader world. And generally I wanted to make sure like my life is in order otherwise so that I'm ready to run a job board. Um, also my uh, editorial assistant, Katie Richards, she's going to take a lot of the, uh, uh, duties of running a lot of the day-to-day administration of the job board. So that'll be incredibly helpful, but I didn't want to launch a job board and then not properly market it, bring people to it, all that kind of stuff. So I, I get trolled a lot about, Hey, where's the post status job boards, vaporware. Um, but it's something that I want it to be ready to be run smoothly when it launches. So that's why I've waited. It's not because of technical limitations. Um, so I'm really excited for that to finally launch. I have several more things that I am always wanting to work on, um, but I can only do one thing at a time. I will admit one code thing. You at, Earlier, I didn't really talk much about code, but it was all custom development, a lot of custom post types. Um, so like the, the private content as a custom post type, the uh, profiles were a custom post type, and that's one where I, I'll admit I made a mistake. I should have just used the users because everyone that signs up as a member is a user. They become a registered user. For various reasons, I decided to make their profiles a custom post type. Um, So I'm not getting the advantages that WordPress offers in terms of editing a regular old profile in WordPress when they're updating their profiles. So they submitted it, but I'm actually, one of my projects going forward is to actually convert profiles back to just the user's information. So all the custom meta and fields and everything that exists, the taxonomies, all these interesting things that are happening with profiles, uh, I'm going to be converting those to the native WordPress user ecosystem. 
Um, so that's a code project that's going to be coming up um, probably towards the end of the year. And, you know, that's the type of thing where I just learned a lesson that uh, a custom post type for profiles really wasn't the best solution, even though it was a little easier to do right out of the gate. Uh, long term, doing what I want to do with profiles will be better as WordPress users. So um, I'm always learning stuff like that. So uh, not letting your code base get stale is pretty important. Um, that's happened a couple of times. So like I try to make sure I'm always kind of acknowledging the code base that it, that PostAs has built on and making sure things are uh, relatively up to date there. Nice. Uh, that's that's a good lesson. That's a good lesson learned. And I'll say, um, going back to the job boards thing, like I bought the domain wpcareers.com or whatever. And I, I, like technologically, I set up the job board in like a night, right? I used like Beaver Builder and like some list plugin. Um, but like the, you're exactly right. The manage the bringing the people who want to post jobs, the bringing the people who are looking for jobs, and just the whole administration a- aspect of it is not easy. So I have something in the back of my mind that is less a job board for WP careers because it's not easy. But um, I I think with the rest of the post status community will be looking forward to the post status job board. Not because I'm looking for a job, just because we're excited to see it. I don't. Just to be clear, I'm not looking for a job. <laughs> Great. So uh, one more question, uh, and this is probably my favorite to ask. Uh, do you have any trade secrets for us? Oh, man. So what kind of trade secret? There's, I, I always carry a lot of secrets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's important if you're in the, in the news business. Um, I guess one of the things that I see a lot is people assume that they can make something and then it'll just happen. Um, and really, you know, that what you hear people say, like that overnight success that only took three years to materialize. Um, that's definitely very true. Um, and everything takes a lot of work, you know, and I think it's so easy to want to just throw something out there and see how it does most of those things are going to be destined to fail unless you just really hit the nail on the head. Like, for example, take the 2007-2008 theme makers. So commercial theme makers could literally throw something up there and people were desperate for better WordPress themes. Um, we, it's not that time anymore. It's not a gold rush for, for WordPress products. And most people that are making WordPress products, it's a lot of work up front. And you have to be willing to do the marketing, the SEO, the um, the the t- time investment, and you might put in a hundred hours that you could have charged a hundred dollars or one hundred fifty dollars an hour for for client work, and you put it into a commercial plugin or product or SaaS or whatever, and it takes you a month to get your like first five customers. So you make five, say it's a hundred dollars, say you make five hundred dollars in that month that you could have built out a hundred hours at one hundred fifty dollars a month. So you have to be willing to play the slow game when you're releasing stuff in WordPress. And if you're expecting it to be fast, um, then I think you need to reset your expectations. So it's not exactly a trade secret, but it's a mistake that I see over and over again where people are expecting, oh, I launched, now give me all the customers. Like you all obviously want this right now because that's when I made it. And in reality, uh, they're going to have to discover it. And it it takes a while to be discovered. So that's my trade secret. Be patient, do the work, and play the slow game. 
That's excellent. That basically recaps the last two episodes. I talked to Jason Coleman and he said, you know, be patient. It's not going to be a gold rush. Uh, and Rebecca Gill, you know, she and I talked about the exact, it takes however many years to become an overnight success, right? You you watch the Olympics, you see the gold medal performance, but you don't see all the, the pain and sweat and sacrifice that went into getting to the Olympics. So Yeah, it only takes Usain Bolt like nine and a half seconds or whatever to win a gold medal. <laughs> but it took him, you know, a lifetime of training. That's right. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, we had a, such a great conversation. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, this episode was sponsored by SiteGround. Uh, so go ahead and check them out over at SiteGround.com slash go slash built dash it. Next week, we're going to have Corey Miller talking about iThemes and all the great things he does. So until next week, get out there and build something. <laughs>